0: What's one specific thing that you've learned from another paraswimmer?
1: That it's absolutely okay to use a wheelchair.
0: Welcome to Social Cake, I'm Brian Lundquist. We got a full crew, Dr. John Mullen, Luke Paddington, and Christy Raleigh-Crossley joining us today. Hey, Christy, how's it going?
1: Hey, it's going well. Friday. Well,
0: yeah, heck, hell yeah. Well, we're excited to talk um, about you and your history and also to talk about para-swimming as something that, you know, we, we got connected because, you know, we posted something about, um, representation in sport, uh, with respect to, you know, David Curtis and Colin Jones and, um, you know, and, and, and sort of racial representation. And, um, and, and so you've made a point about representation and, para-swimming as well. And I think you're totally right about that. And, um, there's some other aspects of that we want to get into. But first, before we go that direction, can you give us a background uh, of your uh, swimming career before you came back to the sport?
1: Um, Yeah, so I am the child of swimmers. My dad was an All-American in college. um, So kind of grew up in the sport. I started competing when I was three, I think. Um, By the time I was 10, I was like, you know, winning states. Then when I was 14, I won Y Nationals. um, Ended up moving to Pinecrest uh, down in Fort Lauderdale to swim uh, for the remainder of my high school. Went to Florida State University. When I was at Florida State, I was uh, ACC Freshman of the Year. My sophomore year, I was ACC Championship MVP, um, NCAA All-American. Uh Yeah, so I had a pretty good swimming career leading up to that. Uh, Post NCAA is my sophomore year. I was in a car accident with a drunk driver and um, have a bunch of discs herniated in my neck and back and uh, didn't swim, stopped swimming. But That was right before the Beijing games and our focus had always been the Beijing games. So this happened in 2007. So 2008, I sat and watched, you know, my friends go to the Olympics. I watched uh, Rebecca Sony, who I had grown up with here in New Jersey, uh, break world records, win gold medals and I was just so utterly depressed. Like, I missed swimming. At the time, I had family living in Baltimore so I contacted them. They were like, move on up. So I moved to Baltimore on a whim with like a semester left of college and uh, swam at North Baltimore. Had a pretty good year. I only swam for about like 10 months, but in that time I ended up being ranked in the world. Um, I didn't have as good of a meet at world championship trials, but I was, you know, thinking about swimming at Auburn because that's where Paul Yetter was going. But I went home for the summer, met a guy, and ended up eloping two months later. And then having a baby, I got pregnant like five months after we got married and I had a baby end of 2010. Uh, But my ex-husband, very checkered past on his behalf. Uh, It was a very abusive marriage, a lot of domestic violence. When I left the marriage, my sister had been swimming at Rowan University. And she was like, why don't you come swim here? And so the coach was like, yeah, we could get you into school. So I was like, I haven't swam in two and a half years. Like, I, I'll try. Um, swam for 11 weeks, ended up winning NCAAs um, in the 100 free. And I got second in the 50 free and the 100 fly. So it was like decent times, but like I was a, I was a mom, I was going through this divorce. So I stopped swimming. I didn't swim the rest of the 2012 season. Um, then I was just training. And the goal was to go to the Rio games. And so I had been training. I ended up re hurting my back in 2014. And then, found out I was I, I got married to my now husband in 2015 and we found out we were pregnant right before the wedding. So had my son and, you know, he took his first steps during the Rio Olympics at like nine months. So that was pretty cool. Um, but I was still having that that like I want to represent Team USA, I want to represent Team USA. So in 2018, I got back in the pool training and I was slated to re-enter competitions in 2019 to try to make a run, my final run for, you know, Tokyo. And in December of 2018, I was in an accident at a ski resort. I got hit in the head with a boulder of ice um, and we didn't know that I had a blood tumor that had been growing in my brain. And we think that it had been growing since 2008 when I was hit by a car as a pedestrian. Um, And so it had been growing and you can see, like if you look back on the NCAA footage from 2012, I have like a gallop in my stroke, which I had never had before. You can see my left arm is dropping. When I'm walking up to the blocks, you could see my left foot is turned in. All these things that I didn't recognize at the time, but like my disability was already starting back then. Um, So the brain injury happened in 2018. They found this blood tumor that had been growing in my brain. And um, actually my good friend from college, Myron Roll, uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar, football player. Um, He's been on TV a lot recently with um, the stuff with Damar. But um, I called him immediately because he's a neurosurgeon. And I said, I can't move the left side of my body. I'm totally paralyzed. They said my brain is bleeding. I don't know what's going on. So he was like, okay, read me the abstract on the MRI or on the CT scan. So I read it to him and he's like, okay, this is what you need to do. He was like, try to get in at NYU because we had family already had contacts in at NYU to try to get, you know, in to see a neurosurgeon. Um, He was like, this is what he went through a whole pre-op like consultation with me. This is what's going to happen. These are the potential risks. You know, it's... The parietal lobe, so it's not going to affect your memory or any of that stuff, but it'll affect your coordination, okay. pain tolerance, your sensation, whatever. So I end. He said, "If you if they don't do it at NYU, come up, we'll do it." So I ended up getting in with the chief of neurosurgery at NYU, and he was like, "Yeah, I think that we should remove it." And this was now two weeks after the incident I had regained the ability to move the left side, but it was still very weak. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. I want to have the surgery. He's like, okay, well, we have an opening on Monday. And I was like, sure. And he was like, you don't need to think about it. I was like, no, no, no. I just want to get this out of my brain. Um, so I had the brain surgery actually Saturday tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow is my four year anniversary of my brain surgery. Um, they removed the blood tumor and, um, I thought, okay, I'm going to be that feel good story of Tokyo, like I'm going to have come back from brain surgery and I'm going to make the Tokyo Games and it's going to be amazing and whatever. And so I waited, you know, however long I think it was like six weeks before I could get back in the pool because I had, you know, staples and all that stuff in my head. Um, I got back in the pool and I instantly was like, why is my left arm not working? I was like, I have no control whatsoever over it. Um, I couldn't control it going through the water. Um, It was really weird, but yeah. So I was just like, okay, Olympics are over. Cause I'm not, I was in that world for so long and I knew what it took and I knew what my body was doing. And I was like, there is no way I am ever going to swim fast enough to make an Olympic team. So I just stopped swimming and moved on with life and you know okay you're never going to be an olympian you're never going to represent team usa um i because i which why i want more people to know about the paralympics is because i had no idea i was eligible i had no idea the fact that i had impaired muscle strength the fact that i had um hypertonia which is the spasms that i get in my arm and my leg. Um, I had no idea the ataxia, the coordination issues. I had no idea that those themselves are three impairments. Like if you have one of those, you're eligible. I had no idea. I was under this impression that unless you were missing a limb, unless you were paralyzed completely, or you were visually impaired, that you, you didn't qualify for the Paralympics. And I think that that's pretty indicative because who like the people who usually get showcased for the Paralympics are amputees are people who are in wheelchairs because it like it's visually saying to people, hey, this person's impaired, like this person's got something wrong. They're not just they're, they're an athlete with a disability, whereas athletes with who are, are like me, who have more invisible disabilities. We're not showcased as much. I mean, it's starting to change. Jamal is a is a prime example of that shift um nick uh mayhew the the runner he's another example um but i think that the representation even within the paralympic community for like neurological and strength impairment athletes has been pretty disparaging so that's something else that like i feel like needs to but First and foremost, I want to move the Paralympic (laughs) movement forward. I want more people to be aware because I was sitting around for years, depressed, thinking swimming was over. My life is done. Like I don't have what I love anymore. And I had no idea that I was eligible. So I wanted to make sure that other kids, people who are going through, you know, life-changing injuries and stuff know that like, okay, there is life after, like you can continue moving forward.
2: Christy, get into that a bit more um, I was like I'm never gonna be a master swimmer I'm a swimmer I'm an elite swimmer I'm going for the Olympics and I end up loving master swimming I absolutely freaking love it um, what is it about para swimming why do why are you a para swimmer?
1: um so I think that and I was I was the same way at first and I remember even like when I first started coming into the para world I had a strength and conditioning coach that works with like some swimmers at the, the team that I was helping coach. Um, I was talking to him about it and he was like, yeah, but don't you wish that you were going to the Olympics? And I was like, what is this guy saying to me? Like, that's Mm. so messed up, you know, like that ideology that like, unless you're an Olympian, you're less than like Mm -hmm. somehow Somehow it's not as impressive if you're on the Mm -hmm. Paralympic side. And I had to come to terms with that. I had to go, okay, is it going to be okay to admit that you have a disability? First and foremost, because I'm a mom and, you know, I don't want to admit to my kids that I can't do things, you know? Like I want them to think that I'm super mom and that I can do everything. And coming into the para world was this realization of like, you have to accept the fact, Christy, that there are things that you cannot do anymore. And I think that that was the hardest part for me coming in. But once I was in and once I like got to my first meet, I was like, okay, like we're here. And I cried because I, I touched the wall And I'm so far ahead of everyone, but I'm crying because it was so much worse than old Christy, you know, able-bodied Christy. Um, But my second meet, it was a bigger meet. It was in Baltimore. And I ended up talking to this little kid. His name was Caleb. And I watched him swim because we were sitting together. And the entire time he was swimming, he was laughing. Like, he was swimming backstroke. He was literally the slowest kid at the meet, mm-hmm. but he laughed his entire race, and it reminded me, that's why we swim. That's why we swim. It's the purity of swimming. Like, And then, you know, later having conversations with Ellie Marks, who's also on the national team, obviously a prolific um, Paralympian, and her story has been, you know, heard all over the world. Um, having conversations with her, she's like, how cool is it? we get to play in water for a living. And I'm like, that's so true. Like it is the dream. It's definitely, it's always been the dream to be a professional swimmer. And I feel like had I made that Beijing games, I probably would have made a relay, you know, like let's be real where I was and like what my potential is. Maybe I, I, I would have made, made a relay and okay, cool. I would have won a gold medal. And then forever, you're an Olympian and a gold medalist. You walk away from the sport and you retire, right? Like, that's what most do. But if it, it was like the universe kept doing things to me to stop each game. It's like, no, this isn't going to happen. But it was like, it almost felt like it was setting me up for this purpose. And so now that I'm in this para community, I'm like, wait, I can do so much more. I can do so much more good than I possibly could have ever done to move the sport of swimming forward. I'm not Michael Phelps, you know, like I am not going to advance swimming like he he did, like Katie's doing. That I didn't have, in all reality, I didn't have the talent to do that. But now being in this para community where all of a sudden I'm somebody with a lot of disabilities, but I had 28 years before this severe brain injury, to get myself ready to be able to be a fast swimmer even though I'm disabled it's go it, it allows me to get notoriety but to give me a platform that hopefully I can use to help propel the next generation i mean i'm a coach i i love bringing my swimmers along for the ride there's a reason why i travel to meets with my kids i want to show them this world that's why i take the time at meets to sit with the younger kids you know i we're at nationals a couple of weeks ago and like my friends are there and I'm spending, you know, some time talking to them, but the majority of the time I'm spending is with the younger kids that I don't know, because in a couple of years, if I make Paris and, you know, do what is projected to happen, they can go back to that and go, Oh, I remember her giving me attention at nationals and we're friends And this because I remember being 10 years old or, nine years old and meeting Beth Bosford before the 96 games. And it, it made me want to be an Olympian because I was like, oh my God, like she's my friend. We're, we're friends, you know,
0: <laughs>
1: we met, we, we like, cause I had gone down to Baltimore. Her, her dad worked at the same company as one of my parents. So like we had met and like spent time together. But that interaction made me really wanna be a swimmer. And so when I you know, had the choice at 10, do you wanna continue playing soccer or do you wanna keep swimming? What do you wanna do in college? You're asking a 10 year old. I picked swimming because I wanted to be like Beth Bosford. And so now that I know and recognize that I'm the older person in the room, I'm gonna give my time to those younger kids. I want them to come up. You know, like, It's like, I'm going guys, who's coming with me? <laughs>
3: Definitely. And I think all those are, are huge points And God. I'll never for, forget meeting Scott Goodrich um, when he came and talked to our club. So those um, interactions are, are huge, but circling back to, like you said, you weren't even sure if you're, you know, that you were eligible for being a a para-athlete. Could you talk us more about, if you remember, like the first moment when you realized you were eligible and then what the next steps you took for maybe that someone isn't aware? Like, is it looking up the different classifications? Is it going to get tested? Um, This your whole experience with it.
1: So it was actually watching the Olympics. I was watching the Tokyo games. and NBC was doing some promos for the Paralympics, and they had Michelle Conkley on, and I'm sitting there looking at Michelle, and I'm going, wait, what's her disability? I was like, hold on. She looks totally fine. What's going on with her? So I do a quick Google search. I actually find out that she had been coached by Paul Yetter. So I, I get in contact with Paul and I'm like, Hey Paul, can you connect me m- with Michelle? Like I would love to chat with her. He was like, yeah, sure. Here's her number. But even bef- so like once I looked her up and then looked up the criteria for Paralympians, I immediately contacted Nathan Manley. And so this was before the Paralympics in Tokyo. And I was like, Hey, listen, I know that you're busy. You guys are about to leave for tokyo but like i just had some questions and he took the time we had about an hour and a half conversation on the phone um and we just talked about the things that i was experiencing and like what had happened to me and you know like what my medical diagnosis was and he was like yeah it seems like you would be eligible he was like so he told me this is what the steps are Um, you know, you need to get to a meet where you can get nationally classified. And so what that is, is like you sign up to be classified, you go in with all your medical paperwork and they have a medical technician who looks over everything, sees what your disabilities are. Um, they put you through a bench test, which is where they have whatever your disability is, they have a criteria of exercises and measurements that they make you do um following that you get into the pool and a separate classifier a technical classifier they'll come in and they'll watch you and they'll watch how your disability impacts and impairs your swimming ability um and so when i had gotten off the phone with nathan i was like okay well i know what i have to do now but it's been years since i have swam i haven't swam in this new body I need to go make sure that I'm not going to hurt myself, and so I, you know, went back to neuro PT and neuro OT um, at the hospital by my house, and spent six months, you know, doing three days a week with them, um, just so that we knew that physically I would be able to safely get back in the pool. Um, I lose my vision when I swim because of neurological fatigue. We have to do more testing and stuff. Um, But also with my spasticity on my left side, um, doing certain things could actually injure me. So like I won't know, I'm trying to swim, I won't know that like I'm like ripping my rotator cuff off. Like even as I'm touched, like I can't feel this touching. So like if I get hit or something, like I've bumped into walls before and the next day, I can't move my arm and I'm like oh my god what happened I'm like oh yeah I bumped into a wall yesterday because I just don't have that feeling so we needed to make sure we were safe um I ended up graduating from PT and OT last December 30th I think it was and so January 2nd of last year I got back into the pool swimming um and I had I was on the phone with Paul Yetter like hey what what can we do like it, I don't want to hurt my left arm, and I can't get through a practice if I'm taking strokes on my left arm because my arm is seizing up. And he was like, just don't swim with it. I was like, okay. So, And then I, you know, and, like, as a coach, like, and having gone back, like, so now I use equipment. I only swim with fins in a snorkel because – my left foot drops, my leg drops. So, in order to keep proper hip position and have that buoyancy, I wear fins my whole practice. I wear a snorkel because my left abdominal wall doesn't contract. And so, if I'm breathing, I'm like snaking through the water. So, in order to not practice bad technique, I use all these, you know, equipment. And I, like I said, I've conferred with, with other coaches who have experience. Um, yeah, and then just, I signed up for my first meet, which happened to be February. They didn't have national classifiers there. So I was given like a provisional classification. And then in Baltimore at that meet, um, I was nationally classified.
2: Christine, you, you um, this is clarify. So I learned something because we don't know anything about power swimming, to be quite honest, the three of us. And um, so I thought that it was like a checkbox. You are a single amputee. Therefore you are on this thing and go. But it sounds as though it's a it's a, it's a personal as everybody is classified based on a very personal objective judgment by two people. So like some my amputee and Brian's amputee will be individually judged and then individually classified mm-hmm. based on how we are affected by our the our, our, being differently abled, even though we have the same injury or you know, we'll be judged differently. Is that correct, right?
1: so it's like kind of kind of so amputees and limb length um that's like kind of a different thing so like for short stature if you are under a certain centimeters you are in a class it doesn't matter like they make you swim and stuff but like you're just classed um if you're a below the knee double amputee you're just classed if you're you know like if they can measure you with a yardstick or a tape measure, it's a lot easier to put you into a classification because it is just a finite, this is what you get.
2: Okay, well, Um, the TBI that you have, A TBI that you have, everybody can respond differently because, you know, maybe your left side was your weakest side anyway. I don't know. I'm Mm -hmm. just guessing, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so, and that's where a lot of the controversy comes in when it comes to classification is because, people will sit there and say like, no, 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 she's a fast swimmer. Like this doesn't even affect her at all. And I'm like, no guys, I was going like 59 and a hundred fly before. And now like going one Oh seven, like it's a big difference. Um, But for, so.
0: Do you think, Christy, do you think, should we have it be like the NFL combine where like, All the paraswimmers get classified live and all the swimming community gets to watch and you've got like, okay, we've got the S10s today. It's like the wide receivers doing their drills. Like, should we do it like that?
1: I mean, if there was more transparency (laughs) in classifications, I think that a lot of the neuros that get bullied and harassed online would like be vindicated. Um, and I think that more transparency is absolutely needed, which is why I have been openly transparent. I'm like, Hey guys, like, this is what I'm dealing with. Like you guys can sit there and see a fast swimmer. I was a swimmer long before my injury ever happened. I have been in a pool since I was born. I was competing at three. Like it's not the same as, you know, somebody who picks up, Swimming as a sport after having a stroke as a recovery. You know, like it's for me, that wasn't my physical therapy, my occupational therapy. It wasn't a therapy that I used to recover from an injury. This was my life. This was what I did best. I venture to say there, I might have taken more steps or more strokes in my life than steps. You know, like I swimming was my life. How and fast so- were you?
2: What were, your, what were your best times? You mentioned 5,900 fly. Like, what was your times in 50 to 100 free and stuff at your peak? Uh, so, long know. course
1: – so, my long course times are – I was definitely a short course swimmer. We were still trying to make that transition. Yeah. into Like, we had work to do to, to make the transition to long course. Um, but at the time, I think my best 100 fly yards was 52-something. Um yeah. 50 free was 22 mid um 100 free i think was like 48, 48. Oh, now? I know i've gone 48 yes. like 48 um i was a yeah. i considered myself a butterflyer i was a okay. sprinter and a butterflyer um yeah, yeah <laughs> <I> was... A... <laughs> butterfly was my <laughs> baby one. but like at the same time i recognized that more women went for the hundred free so like i should probably do freestyle too
2: and how fast do you know? I saw you went 31.8, 50 back, uh, one hundred eight hundred back. How fast do you know?
1: Yeah, so I just went, I just broke the American record in the 100 back and went eight eight. And the irony of Backstroke is that when I was getting classified, they didn't want my, because f- like when you go through classification, they watch your first event for each Mm. Classification. So they watch you for either freestyle backstroke or butterfly, which is your S class or and then breaststroke, which is your SB class. So they watch your first showing, it's called. So my first showing was supposed to be the hundred free um, down in Mexico but I couldn't physically get my arm out of the water. It was so traumatic. I was crying and we didn't have sports med with us. And that's something that like still to this day when I think about is like crazy. You're traveling with a team that is a 100% disabled athletes. And you're you're not bringing a sports med with you. Um, I went through classification. My spasticity triggered in my left arm. I couldn't move it for days. I had been telling staff, like, I can't move my arm. When I went to swim that morning, I couldn't get my arm out of the water. And I was bawling because for me, when I swim, like, I don't swim with my left arm during practice. But when I, when I race, it's autopilot. But it was the first time where autopilot wasn't kicking in, I couldn't physically get the arm even out. And so I didn't know what to do. Um, thankfully Australia had brought their physio with them and their physio worked on my arm and I was able to swim. But if you look at my times in Mexico, they were so slow in the hundred free, but the irony is they didn't want me to have my first showing in backstroke because when we were going through classification, they're like, you're the backstroke is really bad for her. Like her backstroke is really bad because when I swim backstroke, it's all pulling of that arm up and I don't have the ability to raise that arm up I just throw it so I have a full gallop when I'm doing backstroke so I throw the arm until it seizes up and it's it has seized up in meets and like I've had to be removed from the pool by staff um so like that's the thing is like our national team has seen this happen to me like our not like the people who swim race against me have seen my arm seize up. They know it's not like a joke. It's not like I'm like messing around and playing. Um, But they didn't international didn't want to classify me on backstroke because it probably would have lowered my classification. But then the irony is that I go and break the American record Uh in Uh it. But, a lot of it, but that comes from the strength that I've built in my right arm, you know, the feel for the water that I have. My, my fourth event was always the 100 backstroke. So I'm not surprised that backstroke is working for me right now because I am not fighting against water. You know, like in freestyle, I have to fight against water and gravity. In backstroke, it's just, okay, we're going to go.
2: I didn't realize that you'd have different classifications on different strokes, but that absolutely makes sense. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, the way I saw breaststroke, for sure. Um, yeah. the, the, oh, there's, well, there's
1: three classifications. You have okay. a classification for, okay. you have a classification that's S, which is freestyle, butterfly, and backstroke. Then okay. you have a SB, which is your breaststroke classification. And then you have your SM, which is your individual medley. Um, and so usually people's, S's and SM's are the same okay. and their SB is one class below but right. with the exception of short stature. So short stature are like straight sixes across the board. Because it's how much it impacts.
0: Great. Why why just breaststroke and, and medley and not yeah. the other strokes?
1: Um I guess I I don't know that answer, but I'm assuming that it's just because in Theoretically, in butterfly backstroke and freestyle, there is an equal proportion to the amount that your arms and your legs are doing. Whereas in breaststroke, your arms are doing less and your legs are doing more. So for people who have like an upper limb disability, they tend to be faster. Like the 100 breaststroke um, SB9 was swept by um, limb deficient, like missing their forearms. Women who right. are missing just their, all three of them, you know, because they have no impairment in their legs. So they're able to really? just, you know, get that there. Whereas me, like my leg is impaired. So I am a lower class than that.
0: Right. With a stroke that's like a dead space, like breaststroke. That, I could see how that um, is kind of a drastic thing. Go ahead, yeah. Luke. I, I have a question about. Um, so you just dis-
2: not you discovered, but you, you you found your surprise. Your backstroke surprised you, right? Because of, of of your your you're you able to throw your arms and you found a way to work with your um, disability to, to to get over it. I, I suspect that a lot of swimmers would do that. Like I suspect Jamal really works on his core and his pull to make up for his legs, for instance. have you have you have how else have you changed as a swimmer? You don't use your left arm and work How has your stroke changed? Are you, are you more straight arm freestyle in, in the sprint freestyle now? Maybe you were more shoulder driven. Like, how has that changed? And is that common for mm-hmm. para swimmers to adapt to the ability to be faster? Than what they do? do, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, it's definitely. I mean, we're always like that's the name of the game is adapting. Right. I know that. Like, um, I had overheard when we were at the Olympic tra- Olympic Paralympic Training Center um, for camp. That Lizzie Smith was discussing with one of the coaches about, I forget the term that she used, but it was indicative of when her kick hit in freestyle on her opposite from her impaired arm on a breath. And so like, it was like power kick or something like she had a term for it that she, right. but that's just like, and that's what stuck with me. Cause that was one way that she has adapted. She knows that she needs to hit something right. different in order to make that movement happen. Right. Um. Something that I've had to change is in butterfly. I used to be somebody who would breathe, you know, every three. I mean, I, that's just how I always swam because I didn't want to like drop my hips or whatever. Like I just, I had that motion. Now for me, especially at the end of my race, when my arm is seizing up and it becomes more difficult for it to get around and over the water, I, I breathe every stroke now. And I breathe every stroke because breathing drops my hips and it allows my body to get up high enough to the, for the arm to, clear the water. And then as I come down, my hips obviously come up even higher, which then gets the next motion going. So it's something that I've had uh, that I've adapted to, which is difficult. Like I never thought in my life that it would be so hard to breathe every stroke and butterfly. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to get to breathe every stroke, but it becomes difficult. Like it's laboring to yeah. breathe every stroke. But if I don't, then I, I can't get my arm around and it's, it's a little bit of a mess.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, what the para-athletes do and how you adapt is really remarkable. I've worked with a a few over the years and um, like I said, it it really is amazing. And, you know, you mentioned the different classifications and God, I I, have been a little bit involved with the sport, but God, there's so much still to learn. And and one thing I'm still not that aware with is if there are differences with international classifications and national classifications and, and whole that whole process.
1: Um, yeah, so national classification is basically like you get that so that you can swim in para um, So that you can swim at You know the larger para meets Mm -hmm. you don't even need you don't always need to be classified But if you want to swim in finals for a prelim final meet you need to you need to be classified Um, and then getting internationally classified you need to be given a spot. The international committee needs to decide that you're worthy of a spot. And then they open a spot for you. And then you go to a meet. Like I was told you're going to Mexico. I, no offense to Mexico. I, it was a lovely time there. Um, I had no desire to go to Tijuana, Mexico. Um, yeah, super cool. Like representing your country on the international stage. I at the time did not want to leave my children. I, I'm still breastfeeding my daughter. She's medically complex and breast milk is part of her medical plan. And so I had to leave for 10 days and without my child. So I'm having to add in pumping schedules and she has such a restricted diet that I have a restricted diet because of all of her allergies. So I'm in Mexico going, I can't have rice. I can't have soy. I can't have corn. I can't have quinoa. I can't have oats. Can you make me food without that? And they're like, what <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it's, it's it wasn't the easiest thing but i was told you're going you've been given a spot for international classification and i went um
0: so different- are there are there are there a limited number of international spots
1: yep yep do- and oh. they get How preferential treatment to highest rank so if you're so There are a lot. I think we have something like 20 athletes that are up for review this year, myself included. Um, And we have to all try to get classified before world championships, because even if you make world championships and you're not reclassified, you can't go.
0: Is there an application process for the national governing body to say like, Hey, is there a max number of spots per country? How does that work?
1: International decides they say, Hey, we're giving your country four slots, two PIs, physical impairments, one VI and two IIs. And then if you only have, if you have six PIs, only two are getting classified. It's Is the that, international, the international governing body dictates that. And then from what I understand that U S Para swimming decides based on necessity, like starting with, with a national a team, those guys would go first and then B team, then C team.
0: I was wondering if it was like Qatar, uh, you know, corruption getting the world cup if that's the way it works in para swimming like trying to get a number of slots right because like i I remember college diving you know there's you can qualify there's a number of slots for ncaas in your region based on the prior performance of that region so it makes sense that certain groups or zones sorry would have um, more allocated slots so I, i could see it if there were past performance of team usa para swimming for example got them earned them more places but S- sounds yeah. kind of empty. I have no
1: idea the inner workings of world paraswimming. I am just learning the mess that is U.S. paraswimming. So I would prefer not to know if there's a mess over there because from what I've seen with U.S. paraswimming, I mean, we've got a lot to fix here at home before we start worrying about what's going on abroad.
2: So is that the name of the um, organization, World Para Swimming? It's, I'm yeah. ashamed that I would even know that. I mean, I know we know World Aquatics, right? Formerly known as FINA. Yes. World Para Swimming. Okay.
1: Yes. And I think that there is some discussion for World Aquatics, previously FINA, because when it was FINA, FINA, there was discussions of trying to take over para, um, but then they would have to pay us. <laughs> like. But- they yeah. don't want to pay us $25,000 every time we break world records. Like, no.
2: But that's a nice segue then to, my, to, to a question I wanted to have. So, I swam in Canada and um, a Canadian Olympic trials. It's the able bodied and power, they compete together at the same trials.
1: That's awesome. That's, that's
2: the exact same trials. You have that's
1: great. S up
2: and, and able. I remember going to the Sydney Olympic Games. Um, I went to see my brother swim. And the games were over. We were all hyped up. I remember waiting for a bus to get back. And the games were done. And this team of cyclists flew past me. It's like, who's that? It was a paracyclist. They were freaking amazing because it happens two weeks after.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? When, why don't we compete together?
1: You should ask USA Swimming that.
2: Uh, it's it's the olympics too it's the ioc it's it's well well
1: from that from that perspective why are there not the games together logistically no. that would be impossible because what you guys don't see about para sports is all the um pcas that we have personal care assistance, all of the extra things that need to be done to modify venues for us so you know like Things need to be changed in order for us to be able to do everything. Like, if you think about um, at the games, like everybody's hopping on a bus, right? Everybody's climbing up on the bus and going together, and you've got one bus taking all 30 athletes, right? Well,
2: it's, listen, put a it's, it's like that's the excuse for having a wheelchair ramp. Oh, we don't, we can't put a wheelchair ramp because they have stairs there. Just make it happen. The Canadians do it. And wasn't there a World Games? That I mean, had Australia,
1: I, I think, does it too. Australia does right. just, a lot of. Just freaking do it. COVID. Is- yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that, um, I think also because there's not every Olympic sport is not, doesn't have a comparable para sport. Um, and okay. also, our programs, because we have more classifications, we actually have a longer program day. So like fitting that in through like the Olympic swim schedule, like it wouldn't work for us because we have to have a longer stretched out meet because of the way that like, I mean, you've got 10 different classifications swimming. How are you going to fit all of them in? But you so- can
2: adapt it. You could adapt it if you had to. The swimming could, could give up some stuff and you get, you know what I mean? And you'd come together. Look at a duel in the pool. The Duel in the Pool is so exciting. To see Jamal on a relay with uh, Eva Body Summers. I mean, that was fantastic.
1: I mean, I woke up every morning to watch. I was sitting there, you know, like, whatever it was, 3 a.m. watching, because I understood the amazing things that, Jamal, Noah, Lizzie, and Mackenzie were doing. Like, it was absolutely groundbreaking. It wasn't groundbreaking in Australia because Australia, just like Canada, has been doing this. But if you look at swimming in the world, where is the focal point of swimming in the world?
2: Yeah, for the U.S. Yeah. So.
1: yeah, NCAA, I mean,
0: yeah.
1: That's yeah. I- the, and, and the United States runs a lot of what's going on in the Olympics. I mean, like, take, for instance, our media coverage. You know, you go to the Olympics, and the Today Show is there the entire time. You know, every single day after meets, they've got the gold medalists sitting there doing live interviews. And then once the games are over, they pack up and ship out. And then the Paralympics are on, like... NBC sports mm. which mm. most don't have in their cable plan or it yeah, yeah. you can view on peacock for 599 a month like that's not okay like that's not equitable and like that's where the shift needs to change i don't think that this games is going to be one where it's like okay we can combine things i don't know if that's ever going to be possible but i'm hoping that this games is when we finally go okay wait like this isn't okay the way that we're treating these professional athletes who, not for nothing, I have never trained this hard in my life. I may not be training as much yardage as I had been before. I'm definitely not doing the strength and conditioning program that I was before but I am working the hardest that I have ever worked in my life because every day I have to swim against my disabilities. And that's what I think gets lost on people is that they're like, oh yeah, they're fast for somebody with disabilities. Like I'm fast and I have a disability that I have to fight against as well. I mean, for me, I almost have the, the tier pro series cut in the 50 free mm. as a disabled human. I almost had that cut. I am fast. And so it's a situation where we're doing this against these disabilities. You've given us all this adversity, and we're still pushing forward. So, like, I don't understand how people don't find it to be more interesting to watch Paralympics than it is to watch the Olympics, you know? Like, watching somebody with no arms, watching a boss swim no arms is just, like, It's amazing. Like you can't, you can't, I don't know. You can't create that fiction.
0: So you said it and I wanted to take it there by introducing a potentially ignorant question, but we talk about it in, um, in swimming quite a lot recently, especially with the advent of the ISL and that having been pretty exciting, especially for the swimmers, but also exciting to watch, um, from a spectator standpoint, but I went to some of the world cup meets and the scoring for the overall winners is this complicated point system that is, they explain before every finals uh, session and it's still really confusing. And even down to the very end of the last event, we didn't actually know who was in the lead or how, by how much or what time they needed to go to win the overall title for Dylan Carter versus Nick Fink. And when I think about parrot swimming, there's, Kind of a similar thought in in mind about like well how do we make it more exciting and and or more spectator friendly because here you are swimming in these races and sometimes winning by like the heat by a a wide time margin and yet this you don't actually you don't know nor do the spectators know if you won until everybody finishes because of the different Mm -hmm. classifications right so like i'm curious what you think can be done besides, like the how impressive it is from a physical standpoint, of course. But like, wh- what can the, what can we do to make it more spectator friendly?
1: So it's great that you bring up ISL because, like, I was I when ISL was you know on TV. I so said I was still in my I am blocking out the swimming world because I'm far too depressed to like even look there. Um, but then found it, you know, as it finished its last season. And I was like, "This is so much fun! Oh my god, this is so cool! This makes like skins! Oh my god! Like skins yeah. is such an amazing brainchild! Like I think that that makes it exciting. It's fun to watch. And then when you go back to Duel in the Pool, what they did at Duel in the Pool was they gave the time. You know, you got a time advantage, and it was based off the It was based off the world record. And that's how our. So like you're talking about the World Cup, our our World Series meets are scored that way so is our Nationals they're scored based off of the current world standings and that gives you a points and so like my points for the 100 backstroke was like 1000 something I don't know but that made me beat Ellie because Ellie had I think like 900 something so like that's how they score us and at at Paranationals that's that's the way it was so like you'll have you'll be up there with a vi uh s9 and an s6 you know getting various things like when i swam my 100 back i got touched out by olivia chambers and that was she's a vi and so she was further off the you know the time standard than i was so that's why i I won the event, even though she touched first. So what I think could be fun for para swimming is to do that staggered start because then you've got people all swimming and coming in and watching duel was like, this is yeah. amazing, this is fun. Yeah. But I also think that if we can get ISL back up, then why the heck can't para also yeah. be yeah. involved in ISL? Like, why mm-hmm. can't we give that like, time break and like give that advantage have the girls and the boys like there are so many fun things that can be done with the sport and i think that one of the key things for the paralympic movement is going to be reaching out and bridging to our able-bodied non-disabled counterparts over on the ollie side and so you know like having them help us move this forward because you saw all the guys that were on dual in the pool, they were all like, hell yeah, this is fun having para. Yeah. Like they were yeah. all asked about doing it. So I think that if we can just get more integration into both sides being there, the better it's going to be. So that's why actually I had emailed um, the meat director, David, I think Colson for the tier pro series down in Fort Lauderdale. I swam high school in Fort Lauderdale. I swam at Hall of Fame all the time. That's where I won Y Nationals. I want to go back to the pool that it's renovated. You know, like I want to make yeah. that trip. Yeah. So I reached out and said, "Hey, like I can't find, on uh, like I can't find the disability standards for the Tier Pro Series. What are they?" And he came back with, "Per USA Swimming, if you're on the national team, then you're able to come." And they will, you know, f- make sure that your status with the national team is good or whatever. I came to find out earlier this week from another teammate who's on the B team that it is only A team that's allowed. So, like, she had expressed interest about wanting to go to Tier Pro Series. And USA Swimming said, sorry, you're not on the A team. So, and to be on the A team, theoretically, you are third in the world in your event. Like, that's that's where you get. So, do I think that's fair that Tier Pro Series is only opening it to if you can place third in the world when they're letting, you know, 13 and 14 year old kids go? I don't know. Um, but I think that that's where it needs to start is I think it needs to start with more of us going to these big meets and competing like Morgan Stickney. I mean, that girl is a freaking rock star. She was at the U.S. Open the morning that she got surgery. I mean, I don't know how more badass you can be than that, but doing things like that is what I feel like is going to garner us the representation and respect that we deserve. I mean, we are professional athletes. We don't make the money. That you know these other guys are making, and then that's another problem, is that the amount of money that is allocated to para athletes, it's kind of like you know a diversity inclusion that's like, oh, we'll hire the black guy to fulfill this quota. It's like, okay, we'll pull on a para athlete, but we're not gonna we're gonna give them peanuts, and then we're gonna make them say thank you for giving us that. It's like, no, we deserve steak too. Like we are professional athletes; we're the best in the world. Why don't you treat us that way? You don't treat us that way because you know the media is not giving us the coverage that we deserve. So it's like a cycle that somewhere needs to be broken. We either need to get more media coverage so that we can we can live life. I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough that my husband has a full-time well-paying career and I can, you know, you know, pursue this not that i was able to work before but you know i'm able to pursue this that's not the case for a lot of athletes and then what happens is you've got infighting because everybody's going after the same money the same deal and they're you know they're sabotaging each other they're bullying each other harassing they're you know slandering people's names just to try to get a leg up because they're like, okay, if I dull your light, then I'll brighten mine. That's not the way it is. It's like, you're going to dull mine, but like yours isn't going to be So yeah.
0: like Chris-
1: something needs to change. And then I feel like para swimming will have a better environment. That'll be more conducive for the younger generation.
2: Christy, I, I, you made me think of a, of, a, of a issue we have in in able-bodied swimming. I, I hope that's the right way to tune what we do. Um, I don't have
1: a problem with that term. So I know some people do, but I don't.
0: Well, for, well, forgive me because I'm,
2: yeah. I'm no, and I want to learn. That's why we have this show, right?
0: Yeah. Well, hold on. Sorry. Is is there a right way to say it? What would you recommend?
1: People, uh, there are a lot of people who are in the disabled community who dislike the term able-bodied because it somehow able. insinuates that we're not able-bodied. I've but. used the term able-bodied in reference to like my pre-injury because, like, yeah, when I was an able-bodied swimmer, but mm. I guess it would be more I guess the better term would be non-disabled athletes because then it's putting the disability on that person, not the ability away from us. I guess.
2: Okay. okay. But I'm so still I,
1: learning too. Like I'm I'm, I'm still new to I'm still new to this world. And I think yeah.
2: that's what we need in in in, in 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 um non-disabled swimming. We need to learn more from Para, the the para community. So we've we've had a lot of controversy last year in in the sport with gender classification, massive and and, and with Leah Thomas. I mean, um, you know, we, we're having this a lot, and I to, and I believe it's because we're so premature. It was not well thought out. It was it's so young. They they, they didn't they didn't realize what they were getting themselves into. That I think, personally, the NCAA, the IOC, USA Swimming, just could have put a lot more thoughts into this, a lot more transparency, talk about this, and possibly learn a lot from the Paris swimming community of how they handle it. Do you agree with that? Do you think there's learnings that could be applied to other forms of classification in sports, be it gender, be it um, anything else?
1: Um, I mean, there, there definitely is. I think that, you know, something that is always said is, like, If you want to have, if you want to have a diversity inclusion, you know, promotion, if you have a campaign that's highlighting diversity, it was like, okay, well, do you have, do you have somebody on your board that's, are you listening to that person? Are you listening to that community? So when it comes to the, the aspect of gender classification, I think that more needs to be listened to from that community. I think that Leah definitely needs to be a voice that can help move that forward. And I know that people have, you know, their opinion. I mean, I have my own opinions. I, I will say that I am somebody who believes that if you have gone through completely puberty as a male, then you definitely have a competitive advantage, whether or not you're taking replacement hormones, because you cannot unring the bell of, Mm -hmm bone density muscle like you can't unring it i mean my brother is six two i am five four you know like Mm -hmm. there's a difference we're the same genealogical makeup we're the same parents but he's a man i'm a i was born a woman you know like is it is in that and so and full transparency this is no hate against the transgender community I myself am non binary. That's how I identify. So I'm part of the LGBTQ community, but I'm not somebody that I'm not trans. So I can't be the one to and I don't know if I don't know if non disabled swimming needs to look to para for their gender classifications. I think that they need to look to the transgender community. And in saying that, I mean, Caitlyn Jenner came out and said it would be absolutely unfair for me to compete as a woman.
2: But I mean, yes, but I'm talking about the idea of dealing with the complexity of classification and how the, and the complexity of, of the stage you're at and, and when you transition. It's very complex, and mm-hmm. it's not just ones and zeros. To be quite honest, um, yeah, I, I, I felt it anyway. I just i, I also
1: that. para classification is super flawed right now and we've discussed okay. that so like right. i don't think that you I'm look wait, to wait. a broken system to fix okay. Your- okay,
0: okay. <laughs> all right let's end it with some rapid fire questions all
1: right
0: what's the hardest race in swimming
1: the hardest race in swimming? gary hall jr it's the 50 free <laughs>
0: Olympic gold him or and I, world record?
1: Oh, him, and I, him and I were going back and forth. He thought I was coming after him because when Katie Hoff said it was the four hundred IM, I was like, absolutely not. And he was like, Hey, you don't know. I was like, I'm a sprinter. Like, it's pretty free. You can't there you can't make a mistake. It's why I'm not swimming the fifty free right now. It's just it's broken and there's too much there's there, there's too much room for error. So 50 free. Hey
0: respect. We're all sprinters, so you gotta you're preaching in the choir. <laughs> Olympic gold or world record?
1: Uh Olympic gold.
0: What's one specific,
1: Paralympic gold?
0: What's one um what's one specific thing that you've learned from another paraswimmer
1: That it's absolutely okay to use a wheelchair. Okay. And that was Mackenzie Cohen. Shout out to her because I didn't want to start using wheelchair. My whole medical team was trying to get me to, and she was like, Why not? And I was like, I don't I don't have an answer for that. And life has been so much easier. I mean, today I was able to shop at Target without worrying about collapsing. So
0: Good for yeah. you. Who's the greatest Yankee all time? Derek Jeter. Do you pee in the pool?
1: Yes. No, not anymore. Not anymore. He used to.
0: What's the worst song to get stuck in your head during a workout?
1: Baby Shark.
0: <laughs> Who's the best, <laughs> best
1: parasimmer?
0: Awesome. Who's the best para swimmer all time?
1: See, I I can't make that claim because I'm so new to the sport. um, And there are so many that came far before us. Um, The the best current would be Jessica Long.
0: Do you do social kick?
1: No, I don't swim with anyone.
0: (laughs) We got to change that. All right. Goals for 2024. Goals for 2024
1: um show my kids paris
0: oh yeah i love it christy thanks so much for the chat it was a pleasure getting to talk to you and um we appreciate the opportunity thank you very
2: much.
0: all right that's it for this episode of social kick and we'll see you next time hey everybody thanks for hanging out with us if you're enjoying social kick tell your friends about it and be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts follow us on instagram please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, and you can find all of our content on our website,